Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. It was 9 o'clock p.m. on a Wednesday night in the middle of Virginia. I was working at a call center around 200 other people. All of us paid about 50 cents over minimum wage. We hadn't had any calls coming in for over 45 minutes, and normally when that happened, they would start letting people go, and I was ready to be let go because I had homework and I had no intentions of doing it, but I wanted to procrastinate in a different place. But there we sat. I raised my hand again and again, urging my supervisor to let me go, when suddenly I caught wind of a rumor that was starting to rumble through the call center halls that night. And the rumor was that some celebrity was in town about to make a business deal with our call center, and tonight was the night he was going to tour it. A famous person was coming, and I got excited. So one of my supervisors started to make her way down my row, telling people, out of all the rows in all the call centers, she came down my row. And when she came up to me, she whispered to me, someone is about to walk by here. Someone important. Play it cool. And I thought to myself, listen, lady, I've never been cool my whole life. I'm not going to start now. I look up, and in the back of the room, I see Mel Gibson. Mr. Braveheart himself, Mr. Mad Max himself, and I start planning my attack. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What do I have here that he can autograph? What can I have signed? I'm watching because I'm like, surely other people are going to get up and like high five him. I was thinking about the moments that were impacted in my life by watching him scream, freedom. I remember watching the movie, The Patriot, and having to pause it in the middle of it and just take in the weight of that movie. And I was like, this is our chance. And everyone is just sort of like ignoring him. And I thought to myself, you can ignore him, but I am not going to waste my shot. So right when Mel Gibson walks up to me, he was like Zacchaeus, a wee little man. Um, And I popped up out of my roller chair, threw off my headset, picked up my phone and said, Mr. Mel Gibson, can I get a picture? And we snapped a selfie together and it was amazing until a year or two later, that same individual, Mel Gibson, was pulled over and arrested and said some pretty terrible things on tape. And it started to come out that this guy that I was like really, really idealizing dropped cell phones all over the place. That this guy that I thought was so important, I mean, had more of a complicated story. That he had done some awesome films, but he also had some views that under anger or under the influence of something else made known. And it reminded me that day that some people are afraid of meeting those people that they idolize because they might find they are not who they thought they were. In a broken world, you are bound to find people who let you down. And it made me think that there are countless people that I've met who feel that way about God. One of the things that we've done as a church that has been so cool is we just talk to people. 
Isn't that such a unique idea? We just talk to people about what they believe and what they think and who they are and what their story is. Because we believe that the quality of life is dependent upon the stories that you believe. And we make it our mission to hear stories, to connect people to what we believe is the greatest story that has ever been told. And that is the story of the rescue mission of the Son of God and the love of Jesus available to all But as we meet people, one of the questions that we ask is, if you could know God, would you want to? And overwhelmingly, people say yes. Over 80% say yes. But I always wonder, why not 100? Why not 100? Why are there people who, if they could know God, wouldn't even want to? And it usually comes down to this. Some people are very honest, and some people say it quietly. But really, people say this. It's not... The fact that I can't deal with his existence is the fact that if he's all-powerful and he's all-good, why would he let bad things happen to good people? It made me think back to a trip I took to Thailand several years ago. I was there on, uh, to do some media missions. I was writing public relations pieces for an English newspaper. But on the weekends, I got to go out to do some humanitarian efforts. And I remember going to this amazing orphanage that specializes in taking care of children with HIV. And immediately upon getting there, I learned that every child, upon coming there, are tested. And when they get the results back, generally there's a 50-50 chance of whether or not that they will be diagnosed with this deadly disease. And so I was just walking around the orphanage, and I was playing with the kids. And I remember that there was like a three-year-old boy sitting right there. And I picked him up, and he just beamed and smiled. And they said, so great, go ahead, pick him up, because... I mean, we're over, like, we're so understaffed here. Some of these kids, like, some of them won't get picked up all day. So just that human contact is powerful. And so I just picked up Som Chin, and um, I had a brother at the time who was also three years old. And I just remember that connection, that human moment of the world is big, but the world is small. And um, I was almost afraid to ask as I walked up to one of the workers. And I said, has Som Chin had his test? And they said, yeah, we just got the results back. And I said, how did he do? And they go, wasn't good. And I just remember thinking in that moment, this isn't good. This can't be the vision for how the world is supposed to be. This can't be the vision for how we're just going to walk through this world. We cannot just ignore the suffering that we see around us. But apart from God, we are so powerless to do anything about it. What do we do in a world like this where we look around us and see sickness and disease and hate And hurt, there's this question that I see people wrestling with all of the time, even some believers. If God is real, I'm just not sure that he would really like me. But there's another question that people say, or statement, if God exists, I'm just not sure I would really like him. I know I need to. I know I should. But I'm just not so convinced that he's always good. My question today is this. What if there is an attribute of God that we've misunderstood? What if there is a characteristic of God himself that if we could understand it, it would forever resolve this tension? It would forever answer the question, would God like me? Would I like God? That as we understand this principle of God himself, as we understand it, we will realize Once and for all, that walking with God is never just an obligation. It's this gorgeous invitation. Today we're going to talk about justice. We're going to study a passage of scripture, which I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles. It's in the Old Testament, in Amos chapter 5. 
We're going to be studying verses 21 through 24, and I always encourage you, what you will find in these words, in the word of God, in the verses that come before and after, are so much more powerful than what one human being with a microphone could communicate. So take some time this week, this afternoon, get into the word of God, read it, make sure what I'm saying is true and aligns with the Bible. I'll give you a little backstory. Amos was an Old Testament prophet. He was a man who spoke the message of God. He was living in a divided kingdom where there was lots of strife and turmoil. At the time, Israel, the people of God, were being ruled by a king who did not pursue kindness. He did not pursue wisdom. In fact, he was so willing to exploit the people around him. But in doing so, he maintained the religious ceremonies of the people, maybe thinking he could have it both ways. And under the inspiration of God, the Lord sent a message through his prophet Amos to declare once and for all what God feels about that. And let's take a look together in Amos 5, verse 21. God is speaking through the prophet and says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. And even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. There's incredible context around this passage of Scripture. People ask me all the time, why does the God of the Old Testament seem different than the God of the New Testament? Which I think is a fair question, but it's one that is so well understood with the meta-narrative. That means the big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible simply says that there is a God who made human beings in his own image to love and to know them. God said, let us make man. Let us make people in our image. This gracious God continued to pursue his people even after we rebelled, even after we chose sin. And the Bible says that sin is separation. Separation from what? From the life source. I don't know if you've ever been disconnected from the life source of oxygen, but immediately what happens are signs of death in your body. Same with God. When we are separated from the life source of God through our sins, we immediately begin to experience the symptoms of death as a person and as a culture. And everywhere we look, we see the signs of this deadly disease called sin. That's why Sam Chin is sick. It's not because of even his own sin. It's because he lives in a world infected by disease and brokenness. And if you've ever thought this can't be God's vision for the world, then you're right. And God has a plan. And that is the beauty and the majesty of God that we'll explore today. And if we could, let's just invite him to join us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, for this message, for this gospel. Lord, I'm so humbled to be joined by these people here today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would elevate your name, that you would make your character known, that we would not ponder about the nature of your heart, but we would experience a get to together in spirit and in truth as we study your word. We love you. We praise you. We need you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Why was God so angry in this passage? He was angry at people who claimed to be religious. I really see in the scriptures so often God's most ferocious anger is reserved by those who pretend to know him. 
and to use his name to do what they want to do. God was speaking to a people, and in the rest of the passage, in the rest of the book, he was reminding them, you are a people that I rescued. When I found you, you were enslaved in a place called Egypt, and I sent a deliverer, and I went to great lengths to make sure that the hand that gripped you in slavery was open so that you could be released. And I led you to a beautiful new place. The things that you're using to exploit other people, I gave them to you. You were rescued so that you could join my ministry of rescue. And you're using the very things I put in your hands to hold others down. There's this great subtext that says a real relationship with God transforms a person's relationships. There's two beautiful words. In the Hebrew, we have a fuller understanding In verse 25, or verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The word righteous in the Hebrew means right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social differences. And the word for justice really means concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and bring righteousness And let those two ideas inform our talk today, because the first main principle I believe we see in this text is that God values action over ceremony. God values action over ceremony. Portland is the least religious city in America. We repeat that all the time because it makes us sound hardcore for being here. And when I talk to people about why they moved here, I often meet people who said, I just wanted to get away from all that stuff. I wanted to get away from all that stuff. Those churches where people go to the right places and say the right things and wear the right clothes. And they make other people feel ashamed for not putting on the right show. And yet time and again we've seen examples of those who talk the talk are not walking the walk. And it undermines everything. And God would say, I agree. In this passage, he's saying, I hate that too. I hate that too. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. We know in the rest of the Bible that God gave his people these ordinances. He gave them the feasts. He gave them the way to assemble together and glorify God. We know it's not the system itself that God hates. It's the fact that it's empty. It's the fact that it's empty. And he says, I won't even accept your pretense if it's not backed up with something that's real. Now, is there anyone who just wants to get real in church today? The Bible says confess your sins to one another. Did any of you watch those like Bridezilla wedding shows? <laughs> no show of hands. I didn't think so. <laughs> um, those brides can go mad, just absolutely mad. I was reading some stories earlier to try to get some examples on goodhousekeeping.com. And these are true stories. One is about a bride who called all of her wedding guests to a detox She was a health guru, and so three weeks before her wedding, she wanted everyone to go on a cleanse. I don't know if she was thinking that through all the way. Um, There's a second bride who made all of her bridesmaids participate in a weigh-in, and here's an actual email that she sent to her bridesmaids. No one can be skinnier than the bride. That means Kelly and Lizzie will be on a protein weight gainer diet exclusively until May. I will have the nutritionist call you to discuss diet plans. We see countless examples of how people exploit 
the ceremony while missing the point. What is the point of a wedding? Two people making a promise that changes everything. And when you boil it down, it's way more simple than we make it. The same is true of the people of God. Ceremonies are fine as long as they mean something. Baptism, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous to watch. We had the beautiful opportunity to talk to Jacob ahead of time, and he even made reference to it in the video. He knew that when he went into the water and came out, it was a beautiful symbol of the promise that he had made forever in his heart to follow Jesus. The ceremonies, they might happen, but the heart has to be found in the midst. If we get sick of churches that talk a good talk but do nothing with the message they say they believe, if that ever makes you sick, you're in good company. It makes God sick too. And there's a second principle that we see. God's mission is to set wrong things right. God's mission is to set wrong things right. This is a message I wish we could declare over the entire city. That's why we exist, to declare this message over the entire city. We look around us all of the time and we see examples of injustice. It should upset us. We look around us all of the time and we see things that are wrong and we desire and yearn for them to be set right. That's exactly the way we should feel. We're aligning ourselves with the heart of God. Look at the scriptures in Isaiah 117. The Bible says, learn to do good, seek Justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And then look what Jesus himself said. Here is the point. Here is the mission. Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you see a chain, Jesus came to break it. That's the mission of God, to set wrong things right. I was thinking about these two words that we repeat in some of our pledges, liberty and justice for all. And I thought to myself, how often those can be dissonant ideas. Freedom and justice. Freedom and justice. There is a tension there about how a God and his sovereignty would allow this liberty. This liberty that he preaches about and tells us about again and again. We saw it in the Garden of Eden. He gave human beings this volition, this will. And time and again, we see that human beings use their liberty to choose injustice. We are short-sighted creatures, surely. God gave humanity this wonderful freedom, but the problem is that we constantly make choices that hurt others and hurt ourselves. And you know what? This is not just a spiritual idea. It's also reflected in the secular world. I was listening to a TED Talk this week by secular psychologist Jonathan Hayde. And he quoted a human behavioral study conducted in 2002. They said in repeated group scenarios, they found that cooperation decays without punishment. They had this idea that people are basically good. And given the opportunity to cooperate, people will. 
And they found time and again, no matter how you change the stakes, no matter how you change the variables, if punishment was lacking, people chose evil. Maybe people are not just naturally good. Maybe people are naturally complicated. Maybe we're born in the image of God, yearning for his kingdom and corrupted by a sin nature. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. He says, what I choose to do, I end up not doing. And the very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing time and time again. People are naturally complicated. And that's where you are today, born in the image of God. Complicated by a sin nature that affects every human being that's ever walked on the planet. We see in scripture that God's laws are preservative. There was a time in my life where I just rejected all rules, like, nobody knows, I know better. It's um, so easy to correct that thinking when you become a parent. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, my dad came to town, and he found something in our garage. It was a pink bicycle in pieces, because I bought it for my daughter at Christmas and never built it. So my dad brought justice. He made a wrong thing right. He built the bike for my daughter, and we had the helmet. Now we have a strict rule that she, at four years old, is not allowed to go out by herself. But she's a sinner. (laughs) One day, Andrea was inside, and she just heard wailing and gnashing of teeth. And sure enough, Valentine had opened the garage door, luckily put on her helmet, hopped on the bike, on our driveway, which just so happens to be affected by gravity. (laughs) She hopped on the bike, but not for long. She spilled over soon, and scrapes and bruises and tears were the story. See, the rule that we gave her was never meant to limit her. It's because we could see further than she could. We could see the rest of the story, and our rules were preservative for her, and the same is true about God's law for our lives. God's law is an action of his love. Because he sees beyond what we can see. He understands that when we depart from his standard, from his rule, from his love, not only do we separate ourselves from his goodness and glory through sin, we invite the symptoms of death, we bring on natural consequences. Many times that other people have to pay. And I know this is a tender subject because there's people in this room today that so much of the hurt that you're facing and have encountered come from the evil choices that other people have made against you. And I want you to know that God's heart for you is justice. He is the only one who can set it right in the deepest possible of ways. But here we have this human condition, right? These people that God loves and made in his image. These people living in a broken world who are contributing to the brokenness. And yet, there's one thing that never changed. God never stopped wanting us. And yet, because God is a loving God and also a just God, he could not just eliminate the standard and bring about anarchy and defame his glory. No, Jesus never eliminated the standard. He fulfilled it. And that's the glory of this good news. The Bible says, for the price of our sin is death. It's logical and it's a judgment against our rebellion And yet, we have the source of love and the source of light who wanted a better story for you and I. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why Jesus came to this earth and was born as a human being and wrapped himself in human flesh and was tempted with the very things that tempt us. But the one difference 
is that while we sin all of the time, Jesus never did a single thing wrong. He was the perfect fulfillment of God's plan for righteous living. He was the perfect plan for God's justice. He was the only one who never deserved to pay the price of death. And yet, one night long ago in a garden called Gethsemane, Jesus knelt down, understanding the weight of all of this. And in a real moment, a vulnerable moment, the king of glory, the Bible says that nothing was made through him. Nothing was made that wasn't made through him. That he is the sustainer of all of creation. And in that moment, looked to God and said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Let your will be done. And Jesus that night was arrested. And he was taken before a kangaroo court in the middle of the night. A judgment was passed upon him. He was led outside the city gates. His arms outstretched on a wooden cross. His hands and feet pierced by metal. And there on that cross, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. And the question is, does God have a right to his anger? As we look through the story, we see that he gave and we ignored. We see that he pursued and we ran. We see that he loved and we cheated. Did God have a right to his anger? Yes. And his anger had to go somewhere. Where did it go? In that moment, as Jesus stretched his arms out, the greatest pain he felt on the cross, nothing to do with the crown of thorns. It had nothing to do with the lashes across his back. It had everything to do with the fact that God's anger for your sin and my sin was poured out upon Jesus when he cried out, why have you turned your back on me? And the answer is that so Jesus would be forsaken so that you could be accepted. That's the justice of God. And that is the story of how liberty and justice coexist. Because the standard, the price of justice was fulfilled in Jesus. And when he rose from the grave, he said forever, the story isn't over. Because all who believe can follow me in this resurrected life. Jesus came to set wrong things right. And to invite us into a new kingdom. He said, I will go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you will be there too. We studied last week. There's one who spoke up and said, I don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he was inviting people to a tangible, real place called the kingdom of God. Where there's no more sin. There's no more evil. There's no more death. There's no more disease. There's no more heartbreak and every tear will be washed away. And that's the destiny of all who believe. And here's the glory. Here's the glory. Here's the glory. That kingdom of God, Jesus prayed. And so we pray it too. Let it come on earth as it is in heaven. And there we have our third point. We partner with God to see his kingdom come. We partner with God to see his kingdom come. 
What are we doing here as a church? We're partnering with God to see his kingdom come. Why do we live out the gospel? Because we're partnering with God to see his kingdom come. Why do we live out a message of hope? Why do we make sacrifices in our own life? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we go? Because we're partnering with God to see his kingdom come. Because the quality of your life is determined by the stories you believe. And this is the greatest story the universe will know. And we want to play a part. We're partnering with God to see his kingdom come. I love this. I love this passage. Amos 5.23, our text today. Take away from me the noise of your, we could put in empty songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And we see in this passage our mission. The name of our church is Spring of Life, and we get that idea in John 4, where he speaks to a thirsty person, spiritually thirsty, emotionally thirsty person. He says, if you believe in me, I'll put in you a stream of life that will never run dry. We see in the book of Revelation that there's a river that flows from the throne of God himself, and Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit of God. I will put inside of you a source of satisfaction, a source of joy that will never disappoint. But it's never supposed to stop there. As you grow in fellowship together, as you look at the world together, this spring of life begins to flow out of you like a flood of justice, setting wrong things right. And that's why it's our core value. It's God's vision for his people. And by the way, it's a successful vision. And I can't wait to see it grow. I was just doing some basic study on the cause of homelessness, not just in Portland, but across the country. And I found that Christian organizations are essential for homeless relief. Did you know that 60% of the emergency shelter beds in America are provided by Christian organizations? That's incredible. That's incredible. Over half. Baylor University did a study that says faith-based organizations, homeless ministries, are at the forefront of program innovation and organizational transformation for improving positive outcomes for the homeless individuals and families served because they partner with their local communities and sometimes government, faith-based organizations are often able to work toward effectively treating the issue of homelessness because, because, here's the thing we bring to the table. We recognize people as spiritual and relational beings in addition to beings with material needs and their unique capacity to identify this interdependent state of spiritual, physical, relational, mental health, and vocational, sadly, sadly has been overlooked. Let's overlook it no more. That's what we bring to the table. I'm so glad God has placed our story right in the heart of downtown. We're loving people from across the invisible barriers of life will always be part of our story. Spring of life from the beginning, our mission has been to tell the story of God that crosses these invisible barriers. To provide a, like a place like this on Sunday morning, a crisis-free environment for people from all walks of life. To hear a message of hope and experience genuine love. We're not stopping there. Another one of our huge proponents, how we live out our justice, is to form meaningful partnerships in the city. And I'm so excited that Tanner Heath is here as our director of urban outreach and has been working so hard to form meaningful relationships. And we've already seen that we've partnered with the Portland Rescue Mission that provides relief and rehabilitation. We're announcing a new partnership with an organization called Breaking Cycles that works with bicycles and coffee to aid transitional youth. 
We're also beginning a new partnership just this week with the Portland Animal Welfare Team, which offers care to animals of those in the homeless community. And then we're starting another of our own mission projects. Maybe some of you have heard of it, but maybe you haven't. It's called Someone Hears You. And let me tell you a little bit about it. About two years ago, I had just moved to Portland, and I would walk around the city on my way to work, and I would see two worlds. I would see the world of the people who are on the sidewalks, and I would see the people who walk past them every day. And there was something in me that just thought, this isn't good, and this isn't right. And uh, one day I got to go out and serve with a church that was handing out socks and coffee just to people in the city, to anybody who needed it. And I'll never forget, there was one individual that I met because his name was Bubbles. How can you forget that name? So Bubbles, I handed some socks, and Bubbles just started talking. And uh, it was interesting, and he made eye contact. I made eye contact. In a second, it was a connection. And I just wanted to hear what he said, and I noticed it just felt really awkward that, you know, he was sitting and I was standing, like, literally over him. And so the first thing I did was just to square up and sit down, and there we were. And and it just became a moment, just that simple, a moment, a human moment. And the rest of the group that I was with sort of didn't know what to do. (laughs) Like, should we keep going? Are you guys talking? Are you friends now? Or should we stay? And um, I was sort of like, you figure it out. (laughs) I don't care. And so Bubbles just continued to talk to me, and I made a decision. As long as he wants to talk, I want to listen. I don't know what to do, but I can listen. And uh, Bubbles had a friend sitting right next to him, and it was sort of like the tension, like on both sides, was starting to build up. Bubbles' friends just kept saying, look, his friends are waiting for him. Let him go. Let him go. And eventually they left and started to walk away. And Bubbles said, just let it, his friend said, let him go, let him go. Like his friends are leaving him. And finally Bubbles turns to his friend and said, would you stop? It feels so good just to have someone hear me. And I thought, man, I don't know how to start uh, an organization tomorrow. I don't know the complexities of providing all of the resources and services that people need. But you know what I can do? We can start with hearing a story. And we can allow those stories to inspire our empathy and inform our action that can lead to change. And so we've launched a project called SomeoneHearsYou.com that simply does that. We invite creative contributors and photographers and storytellers. We go out, we offer a free meal to anyone who wants to talk to us. And even if they don't want to talk, we give them a gift card for a free meal. We offer them the chance to tell their story and have their picture heard. We're above board. We always make sure that we ask permission, sign release forms, and if anyone doesn't want their story shared, we don't share them. But what we found is so many people have loved the opportunity, not just to be talked about, but to allow their voice to enter the conversation. There's power in that. To give a voice to the voiceless, that's what God does. We believe in stories that inspire empathy and inform action. And so how can you help as a member of this church, as a regular attender of this church, as a supporter of this church? Go to someonehearsyou.com and read some stories and share them and allow those voices to spread and then think about them. Allow the complexity of the story to inform what God is calling you to be and what he's calling you to do. That's what I love about Jesus. He could have remained a distant God. He could have stayed removed, but he entered the story Through the incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We serve a God who never surrendered any of his extreme deity to relate to our broken humanity. In Jesus, we have the full picture. We have the full gospel. We have justice. 
We have a God who once and for all came to set wrong things right. And I wonder today where you're at in the midst of his story. I wonder if there are people in this room that have never come to a place of giving everything to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that those who confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, will be saved. Not better, saved. Not acceptable to the Christian world. Saved. That's the promise and the hope. I often ask people, where you stand on those two? Are you struggling with whether or not he rose from the dead? If that's so, we are here to walk with you in those questions. Meet with us. We are never afraid of questions. We talked about last week. We have a core value of truth. And because we believe truth is not just a set of facts we can memorize, it's a person who can be known. So let's deal with them. Let's talk about them. But so often I talk to people about that first one, to confess him as the Lord of your life. And it all comes down to people saying, I'm just not sure I trust his heart. Can I tell you today that from his word, his vision for your life is greater than your vision for your life. He's loved you. He's known you. He's pursued you. He's ready. And what if today was the day you said yes? What if today was the day you said yes to Jesus? And today you would be saved. I wonder if there's anyone else that God is stirring your heart. Maybe you entered this life long ago. You've been walking with Jesus. But if you were to be honest, the Lord is stirring your heart with questions about how you can continue partnering with him in justice. Let the Spirit work on you today. Let the Spirit ask you the good questions, lead you where you might follow, and say yes to Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.